the Lord has um, worked in our lives for the last four years. And uh, when we started Deputation, we, we started out, and as you heard in the video, I was in ministry. I, I was a very small idea of what you're stepping into. And as you go along, you start realizing, oh, this is big. And the task gets larger and um, the, under, the, the overwhelming responsibility of what's ahead. And so for the last four years, we've seen that. The Lord has, has brought us along and he's, he's worked in our lives and he's done so much. We are so, pa- we are so grateful for his patience and his long suffering in our life. Uh, I, I, it's just in so many ways we could testify of God's goodness in our life and how he's worked. And so we're excited to get to Eisen. Eisen really is a, it is an unreached people group. And I say that, and I, I want to clarify that a little bit. It's not unreached in the sense of a lot of these countries uh, who have never heard the name Jesus or some, you know, transliteration of it. They've never heard that. There's, there are thousands of people groups all over the world who have never heard the name Jesus. They don't have a single uh, passage of scripture translated into their native tongue. There are, there are, they are all over the place. The need is great. But Iceland is a pioneer mission from the sense, or an unreached people, from the sense that there has never been a, uh, a Bible-focused work in the country at all in history. So we're talking about a European country. They're, they're Vikings in Iceland. Uh, the Vikings discovered it about 1,300 years ago. And so they've lived there for 1,300 years now. Very strong uh, European influence. Big, blonde hair, blue-eyed, just big, strong people. That's who they are. Less violent than you would, might imagine than they, they used to be. But they're still Vikings. They're very proud of that heritage. They can trace their lineage back to the first, their first Viking ancestor that set foot in Iceland. And they're very proud of that lineage. They have their, their Viking language. They speak Icelandic in Iceland. Um, they have all of that. They're a very wealthy country. Uh, one of the, the most expensive countries in the world to live. They have, they're one of the most peaceful countries in the world to live. They have averaged less than a, a murder a year in the entire country. We're talking about an island the size of Kentucky uh, with about 350,000 people in it. So it's not huge, but it's a big area. and they, There's just not a lot of violence. And so we're talking about an established Western European culture that has never had a real Bible-centered church movement in its 1,300 years of existence. Uh, so there's no foundation. There's no foundation for the Bible. There's no uh, foundation for my grandma used to go to church, and she was a believer. There's none of that. Um, and they are largely atheistic, at best agnostic. Zero, I saw this stat a couple months ago. Zero percent of Icelanders under the age of 25 believe that there was that there was intelligent design. In other words, that there is a creator of the universe. Zero percent. And they're just, the younger generation is not religious. They don't care about God. They don't care about religion. Uh, it's very much uh, humanism, materialism. Uh, that's, that's their God. That's their religion. And so it is a godless culture. And, and from our perspective, this is less, you know, we can't go over there and share with them, give them a track and, and read John 3.16 to them because they have, no under, they have no context for that verse. For, for reaching a, a people like this, and we're seeing it in our country too, we're seeing this in our culture, 
But in Iceland, it's about taking them to Genesis 1-1 and laying a foundation of this is who God is. That is the basis for the Bible. That's what we see throughout the Bible is this general revelation of God, him revealing himself to mankind. But it is, it is grounded on this idea of God as the creator of the universe, as the arbiter of law, of good, and what's of justice. Uh, and when they can comprehend that process, we can take them through um, what the punishment for them breaking God's law is, and then the wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus. Um, and that's kind of the process we're going in, we're, we see ahead of us, reaching the Icelanders. This is, we, we see this as a long-term uh, task. This, I don't think this is going to be a couple years. We're in and out, five years, ten years even. We're, we're planning to spend the rest of our lives in Iceland, seeking to establish Christians who are grounded and discipled and who are part of a, very, a strong local body of believers. Uh, and so that they would then take the mantle of church planning in Iceland. That's, that's the, what you see throughout Acts. You see locals throughout the areas that Paul went who made up the local churches, and then they went out, and they, they shared the gospel with uh, their fellow citizens and their fellow countrymen, and we want to teach the Icelanders. Once you're a believer, it's your task. It's your task. This is your responsibility. Uh, and teach them what the Bible says. So we're excited about it. It really is. I, it is overwhelming. It's just overwhelming for us to look ahead and to see what, what it all entails. Just moving to Iceland is overwhelming right now. We are in the middle of this, and I'm just, every step is a new step. Everything I do is the first time I've ever done it. And so it's new, which is exciting, but it's also a little unnerving because you're, you're not sure what's gonna, uh, what it's going to lead to. But we are following the Lord. He has led us. We are grateful for this. And what he has called us to and where he leads us, he's going to empower us. He's going to, he's going to empower us. That's the promise of the Great Commission, is that he will empower us to do the work that he's called us to do. So pray for us. I, a couple things I would pray for. Pray for my family. Pray that um, we would be faithful. I would be faithful in leading my family towards Christ. That I would be faithful to raise my children. That I would be faithful... Uh, and my love for my, my wife, that the, the, Satan is going to attack anything he can. And we want to be very aware of that. So pray for our family. But pray for the Icelanders. Pray that their hearts would be broken to their spiritual need. This is not about going over and strong-arming them. I don't, I don't, I'm not coming over with American riches to solve their problems. You know, they don't, they don't need any of that. They don't need education. They don't need our wealth. I don't have any answers for them from their perspective. And so they need to seek for the truth and pray that the Lord would break their hearts, um, that they would see their eternal need and that through that we would have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so uh, if you would keep that in your prayers, if you would. We're excited to see what the Lord's gonna do in Iceland. We believe, we believe the Lord would have all men come to repentance. That's what the Bible says so clearly. And he wants the Icelanders. He wants the Icelanders. And they, that is a stronghold of Satan right now in the year 2023. And Satan's not going to give up the fight, but he has, to, he has to see the victory. And so we are going over there confident that the Lord wants to do something. Um, and we're excited to see what it is. Maybe it's long term. Uh, maybe we're going to be moving slowly, but we just want to be faithful servants to the Lord. So pray for us if you would. Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, if you would. No surprise, I'm sure. 
the book of Acts. And I, I want to give a little run, uh, run up to this passage we're going to look at tonight, just so we're kind of have, uh, we're on the same page here coming into this. This is not some new revelation I'm, I'm throwing out, but just to kind of get our minds wrapped around where we're, co- we're going tonight. Uh, Acts is a very transitional book. Any of you who've read the Bible at any length of time, you can sense that, right? If you understand the Bible as a timeline, you can see that very clearly. It's very transitional. Um, Jesus' ministry is done. He's ascending to, to heaven, and he is giving the disciples in the church this promise. Um, but it's no longer Jesus' earthly ministry. It's no longer his ministry. He says, greater works will ye do. This is... This is someone else's ministry. Um, Now, it's his ministry, but he's not on earth in the flesh performing the ministry. It's sinful men and women who are doing the work that Jesus has called us to do. But even before then, to understand what this concept is, we have in the Old Testament, and just to, to, I know I'm shortening the timeline here, but I don't think we need an entire biblical survey here, uh, you basically have the Old Testament where God was working through an individual nation. Uh, For the most part, it was the nation of Israel that he used. He had called Israel unto himself. Uh, He had sanctified them. He had called them out uh, out of slavery and taken them to the promised land to use them so that they would be a light to the Gentiles. Uh, we see that kind of reach its apex in the, in the, under the reign of David and into Solomon's reign. That was kind of the apex of the witness to the Gentiles as a nation. Uh, and then we understand the rest of history. They, they, uh, they stopped serving God and they started worshiping other gods and God judged them. They went again back into slavery um, and the Lord judged them. No longer did he have a called out assembly um, called unto himself as a light to the Gentiles. And then we, have, we get into the New Testament when Jesus comes and we understand the purpose for his coming was as to offer himself as a final sacrifice to mankind. But he also was a working in earthly ministry. He was revealing himself to Israel. He was revealing himself as the Messiah. He was revealing himself as the Son of God. But he also was training men. He was training a, a small group of men. It's interesting as you read through the Gospels how many times Jesus would leave the multitudes and he would go away with his 12 men and even sometimes leave the 12 men and he would go away with his three men. Right? He was training these men. We call them disciples for a reason because they were following him and he was training them. And he was training them for a task that would take place after he was gone, which we already, we already mentioned. And then we have his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so here in Acts 1, we kind of pick up right in the middle of that. Now, the disciples in the earthly ministry of Jesus spent most of their three and a half years, it seems like, they spent most of their three and a half years confused. They didn't know what was going on. They were following Jesus. And if you read in John 6, Jesus is talking about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. And it says many of the disciples stopped following him because that was a hard saying. They didn't understand that. But the 12 stayed and Jesus said to Peter, will you leave also? And he said, where will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Right? They didn't understand it, but they knew who Jesus was in a broad sense. They spent most of their time convinced that Jesus was establishing the, re-establishing the earthly kingdom of Israel. 
That was what was in their minds. That was what Jesus was doing. And, and when he went to trial, I am confident there was mostly fear, but there was also like, this is the time when they will lift up Jesus as the king of Israel. He will throw off the yoke of Rome and Israel will now be in the, what we understand to be the millennial reign. Right? This was going to be Israel's uh, grand reopening. And it didn't happen. And so his death was shocking to them for many reasons. But that was one of them. And so now we're here in Acts 1, and Jesus is his last, this is his last speech to them on earth. He's speaking to them. But you can see in the disciples' minds where they are, what they are focused on. Let's look in verse 6. It says, when, Acts 1, 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus is in this moment lightly admonishing the disciples. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. That is, n that is not for you to concern yourself about. This is what you are to concern yourself about. And he refocuses their attention from this very tangible kingdom idea that they had of reestablishing re Israel as a kingdom now to being a witness of Jesus and his deity and his salvation that he, ha that he has available to all mankind. That is what Jesus is focusing their attention at. And that's what Acts 1-8 is. It's a focusing of, of our attention as the church of what our responsibility is to be. It's right there. And he's focusing our attention. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into the service here tonight. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We're so grateful for your word. We are grateful for this testimony of your life here on earth. God, that we, it is reliable, that it is without error, that has been preserved for us. God, thank you for that. I pray that we would be uh, faithful servants tonight. I pray that we would be faithful hearers. I pray that we would take the truth of your word and apply it to our heart, God. There, there are going to be things that people are dealing with tonight I don't know, but the Holy Spirit does, and we are asking that the Holy Spirit would take your word and that, that it would pierce uh, even to the dividing, divine, dividing asunder of soul and spirit. God, I pray that your word would impact us tonight. Help us to be, uh, have clarity of mind. Help us to be focused on this time. Uh, bless us tonight. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is, is refocusing the disciples here in Acts 1.8. And as you follow the timeline of Acts, you see that it, this takes hold. Now, many times before, before this promise here, the disciples would walk away confused. And, and they would even question amongst themselves as to what Jesus was saying. But here, even though they did not understand necessarily when the next step would take place, they had a clear understanding of what their task was to be. And so the rest of Acts 1 is them basically waiting. Jesus had told them to wait in verse uh, 5. And so they wait. 
They're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And the promise is specified in verse 8. Ye shall receive power. How will that power come? After that, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. So they are waiting for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to empower them to do the work that Jesus has called them to do. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. And it happens. Acts 2, verse 1. This happens. It says, the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out and they preach, and, and thousands are being added to the church. I mean, we're talking about a local church at Jerusalem that many estimate, I've heard estimates up to 100,000 people in the local church in Jerusalem. I mean, they are just expanding at a rapid rate. The disciples and those who are around Jesus hearing his command and those who are brought into the church newly saved and baptized are, are getting this command and they are running with it. They, they understand the command. And that's Acts 2. And that's Acts 3. And in Acts 3, we kind of get to this very specific story where, Jesus, or where John and Peter are walking through the temple and they meet this lame man who uh, is lame and he's asking for money. And, and Peter says the, the famous phrase, we're very familiar with this, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he heals him. Now, they were in the temple at the time of prayer. And, and I don't know exactly what the time of prayer was. We have some understanding. Jesus would talk about uh, the Pharisees praying their loud, opulent prayers uh, to show how righteous and holy they were and how wicked the publicans were. But it was, it was still a very personal, personal, kind of intimate time where these people are there. And, and up to thousands of people were, were in the temple area at this time. And so this event disrupts all of that. They heal this lame man, and it says, and he, he jumped up, and he was leaping and praising the Lord, following Peter and John through the temple. And do you know what happens? Everyone in the temple stop, and they turn, and they look at Peter and John, and Peter says, here it is. Here's the opportunity. He, he was so zeroed in and locked in on his command that any opportunity he had to witness be a witness of Christ. Let me tell you about the Christ. Let me tell you about the Messiah. And so he preaches in Acts 3, verse 12. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people. Uh, verse 19, he preaches salvation. Repent ye therefore and be converted. And they do. Thousands are saved. Five, it says in Acts 4, over 5,000 men were saved in this under this sermon, under this gospel presentation. And so we get to Acts chapter 4, and Acts 4 is the result of what takes place in Acts 3. So it's a two-chapter story that we're looking at. And in Acts 4, it really picks up uh, from the other point of view. Verse 1, it says, And as they spake, they being Peter and John, spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Now look at this being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So, so here's the problem. The problem is the leaders of the church, of the, the temple, I should say, were bothered that here was the name of Jesus once again being preached. And, and it wasn't even 
you know, the name is bad enough, but now they're preaching that the resurrection is only through Jesus. The Pharisees who believed uh, in the resurrection, and here, here we are, the exclusivity of salvation. It's important for us to understand that salvation is exclusive. Now, it's not exclusive to us. It's exclusively through Jesus. Right? It's available to all, but it's exclusively through Jesus. There is no other name. There is no other way. There is no other door. It's through Jesus. Right? You're not softening things up and being someone's friend by walking that back. We stand strongly on the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to Eisen and we're preaching Jesus. And this bothered them. And it says, and they laid hands on them. Now, I just not in that we're about to ordain our assistant pastor at our sending church. Not in that way. We're going to lay hands on him. Not the same laying on of hands. Right? This was an aggressive laying on of hands and throwing them in prison. And so Acts 4, and we're not going to go through all of Acts 4, but we're going to we're going to jump over to verse 18 because the first 17 verses is kind of this back and forth. Right. The, the Jewish leaders they, they question Peter and John, and then Peter and John respond to them, and then the, they, the Jewish leaders confirm amongst themselves, what are we going to do with these people who are preaching Jesus? And they kind of settle on this decision in verse 18. It says, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Absolutely 100% against what the command in Acts 1.8 is, right? We, we cannot be witnesses if we can't speak in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the eyes, in the sight of God, to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The impact of the reality of who Jesus was and the impact it had on Peter and John's life was, was tangibly evident right here. For we cannot but speak the things that we've seen and heard. It, they were compelled to preach. I, I'm not going to go off on a rabbit trail here, but it's very easy for us to draw the parallel, right? right? We see the parallel here. How compelled are we? How compelled? How, how real is our salvation? Now, let's, let's talk about this here. Because... Our salvation looks on the outside totally different than Peter and John's. They walked with Jesus. They saw him bleeding. They saw the spear thrust through his side. They heard him cry, it is finished. They watched as he gave up the ghost. They saw his lifeless body come down. They, they knew of him being put in the grave. They saw his resurrected body. They saw that. They touched his resurrected body. They saw him in the flesh. But our salvation is the exact same thing as their salvation. And our salvation is just as real as their salvation is. And it should have the same exact impact as their salvation did. Our witness of Christ should be the same as their witness was of Christ. And so we should be compelled we cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. What has Jesus done in our life and how real is it to me? I was four years old when I was saved. That is young. But I can tell you, 
I understood what I was. I'm the youngest of four kids. My dad was a deacon and a music director at our church. And I heard a lot about hell. And I heard a lot about sin. And I heard a lot about judgment. And I knew about Jesus. And I knew about the cross. I didn't understand all of that. And so I would go to my mom and say, and my dad, and I would say, I don't want to go to hell. Right? That's the judgment of God. I want to be saved. I wasn't, I, I wasn't to, to most people, some reprobate. But you know, the depravity of sin that I was in was as great as any sinner. I was helpless. And I had broken God's law. And so when I witness of who God is to me and how he has saved me, that is what I am a witness to of what he's done in my life. He has saved me from eternal judgment. And I must speak of those things. And Peter and John, were, they said, we have to speak of these things. And, and so getting back into here, the story, it says the leaders said, okay, just go away, right? We, they couldn't do anything else. There was, they were just, they were kind of over outnumbered. There were 5,000 new converts there around them, uh, or in the area at least at that time. And so they let Peter and John go. It says in verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company. This, this, this is what we're, we're talking about, the church, right? They went to their own local uh, church, their local, local group of believers. They went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they being the church, look what happens here. Now, let's, let's stop before we get here. They had just been threatened by the people who had murdered Jesus. This is not just some empty threat, right? These men who were threatening them and threw them in jail had not only thrown them in jail, but they had threatened them and they had just murdered Jesus. And so Peter and John understand that there's something to this. This is not an empty threat. And so the church hears this and it, and it, and, and they understand the seriousness of the situation. And when they had heard it, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and they pray. We are reaching a time where we are seeing the anger against God and his word. Right? It's not even against Christians. Right? That's not where the anger is directed. They are angry at God. And, and we are seeing very real things that it doesn't take much to imagine what's down the line, right? We're not, I don't, we haven't faced it, but we see where it's going. We see where it's going. Now, it's happening all over the world. I have a friend of mine in a closed country, and he was there for five years, just came home on furlough. He's getting ready to go back. Uh, he was there in the middle of the COVID lockdowns, like he was there and they were meeting every single week for church. Every single week for church. They're facing persecution. They've been raided during church. People have been hauled to jail. They're facing persecution. Right? This is going to happen in our life. And, and for the church and for Peter and John, 
we see in this prayer an example of how we are to respond to this. Because what happens here? They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. This is their praise to him. Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And they go on to praise him. And then we get to verse 29. And they're finally getting to their request. They're lifting up their voice in one accord. Here we have, there's so much in here. We could, we could just take time and, and look at the church unified together, lifting up their voice to the Lord with a request. And they say, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants. And here's the request. And here's where maybe we could take diverge a little bit. Because if we are facing the opposition that they are facing... And we go to the Lord with our requests. What would our request be? And now, Lord God, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants leaders who are friendly towards the gospel. Right? Grant unto thy servants ease, an open door to share the gospel. I'm not here preaching that those are wrong things to pray. What would we pray for in that? There's so many things we could pray for. God, remove those who would stand against us. David prayed those prayers. Right? As, who am I to say that's not what we're to pray? But we are in a very real situation that the early church is facing. And what do they pray? Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Do you know why they prayed that? Because that's what Jesus had commanded them to do. To be a witness. Right? In order to be a witness, you have to speak. And so their prayer is, God, and the understanding is, it is going to be difficult. I've got to believe this group of people understood what was coming in the next couple chapters for us. The persecution they would face and the imprisonment they would face and the death that they would face, one of their own being stoned to death in a gruesome way and, and James being beheaded and Peter being thrown in prison and the church is just spread out. And they ask, not for peace, not for ease, not for an open door. They pray for boldness. That's what we are to do. Why did they pray for boldness? Because that's the command. That's what we're called to do. And when I say we, I'm not talking about missionaries. I'm not talking about preachers. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about people who have taken, placed their faith in the work of Jesus for salvation. And if you've done that, you are included in that command to be a witness. That's all of us. And in order to do that, it's got to be through the boldness that we are given. It's got to be in, you know why it takes boldness? Because it is a little awkward. It is a conversation where we are, we are uh, we're not, but basically they can see it as us condemning them. Right? We're calling them a sinner. A wicked, vile, evil, godless sinner. It's not a make a friend type of conversation. Right? That's a little aggressive. There's so much to that. 
But the calling is to be a witness of who Jesus is. The calling is to be a witness of who we are and who God is and what our standing is with, with God. And it takes boldness. Lord, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may preach thy word. That's the prayer that they prayed. And verse 31 gives us the answer. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. That's the answer right there. They spake the word of God with boldness. Now, we can dig a little deeper here. What was the cause of their boldness? It was not that they had some special truth. It was not their personalities that gave them the boldness. Do you know what, what the cause of the boldness was? They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? And we're not talking about some charismatic understanding of what's going on here. We're talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you know that happens today? When you're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Paul says that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. We are sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. He will not leave us. It is not, uh, he's gone when we sin, he's back when we're good. No, he is within us. He indwells us. But we still have the, 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 the task, we still have the opportunity to either yield ourselves to the Spirit who indwells us or to take the reins and to do what we want and what we desire. Right? This is the battle of the flesh versus the Spirit. And so what we see here is not some, some uh, uh, fantastical experience that we have to go through in order to be filled with the Holy Ghost. All that Paul talks about throughout the New Testament is it's just yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Offering ourselves as a vessel. God, I don't know why, I don't know how you're going to use me, but just use me however you can. That's what we're talking about here. They wanted to be used by God. They said, God, give us boldness. Whatever we need to do this task, just let us do the task. We want to do the task. They were consumed with it. They were consumed with drawing close to Christ and walking with him and fulfilling the command that he has given us. So when we look back to Acts 1.8 and we say, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, that's the command. That's a huge command. That's a huge command. That's not done through our mental capacity or our mental ability or our strength of oratory skills. It's not done through any of that. It's done through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the believer who is a willing vessel, offering himself to God to be used in whatever way that he would use us to be a part of this great calling that he's called us to, to reach the uttermost. And it's every, it's all different roles. But one thing we have in common is that we are to be a witness of Jesus. Right? You don't have to go to Iceland. But you need to be a witness of Jesus. To who? To whomever Jesus puts in your path. And we need to have boldness. And the boldness is not your personality trait. I don't have it. I, my dad, I know you guys don't know my dad. He's the most outgoing, charismatic person in the world. He can talk to anybody. I didn't get that trait from him. Right? I, am, I am a little more reclusive. Uh, I am more of an introvert. But that doesn't determine whether or not I can be a witness of Jesus Christ. 
What determines whether or not I can be a witness of Jesus Christ is if I am yielded to him. And if I'm yielded to him, he will use me. And so that's the calling. That's the command. That's the Acts 1-8 command. Do you know what happens when they were filled with the Holy Spirit throughout Acts? They spoke with boldness. Every time. Every time. Don't, don't concede this point of what the Holy Spirit does in our life and ministry. It's a very real thing. Do you know what happens is if you look through the New Testament, there are many examples of people being consumed with things. Right? Just in Acts. They were filled with anger. Do you know what they do? They act on what they're filled with. Whatever you're filled with, whatever consumes you is what you will act on. It's what you'll talk about the most. It's what you'll think about the most. You'll study the most. You'll know more. You'll be more knowledgeable about it because you're consumed about it. And you're watching YouTube. If you're like me, you're watching YouTube and you're scrolling Twitter on all of those topics or whatever it is you do that consumes you. And that's what you talk to your spouse about as you're driving down the car, driving down the road in the car. That it's easy sometimes to know what our focus is. And if our focus is Christ, then we're going to speak on that. Because we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because we're going to be yielded vessels to him. And that's how we are to fulfill the task that he's called us to do. I don't know how to reach cross-cultural, culturally. I don't know how to speak another language. I can speak some Japanese. That doesn't help me at all in Iceland. I've got to learn a language. I've got to learn how to live in Iceland. I've got to find a house. I've got to meet people. I've got to build a relationship with people. I'm going to invite them in my home. I'm going to have a conversation with them, hopefully leading to a place where I can ask them, hey, do you believe in God? I don't know how to do any of that except that last part. And even that's like, you know, that, you got to get to that question. And it really is beyond my capabilities. But he said, that's not how it's happening. That's not how it's done. That's not how we fulfill it. Wait. Right? Now, we don't have to wait because the Holy Spirit is inside us if we are believers. But we do have to be yielded. Yielded vessels. Whatever it is. And when I was... 11, I met a missionary going to Iceland. I think I said it in my video. And the, the conviction that I started experiencing was very real. And I don't know, maybe you all haven't dealt with it in the same way. I'm sure you haven't dealt with it in the same way. But when you're dealing, when the Holy Spirit is working on you, you know, unless you yield to the Holy Spirit, it's pretty miserable. Amen. Right? You're, this, this battle, it's this internal battle. You're a believer. I was a believer and, and the Holy Spirit was, was convicting me to do a certain thing. I wasn't, you know, I'm not forced to do anything. And I can tell you I wasn't forced because I didn't want to yield him. And I remember going down, I don't know if it was a missions conference or youth conference, but I, it was a, it was, we were in the, I would sit in the balcony and I would come down uh, and I would pray at the altar. And the first prayer of this whole battle was, I'll be a preacher. Right? That's, that's what I'll be. That's my surrender. I'll surrender. I'll be a preacher. Well, that's not what, was, that's not what he wanted. 
He didn't want me to tell him what I would do. And, and I remember this battle, and I would go down, and I went down to the next day or the next week or whenever it was, and, and I said, okay, uh, I'll be a pastor and I'll be a missionary. I think it was Australia and the Philippines, right? Those were the things in the 90s that you were missionary to back then. That didn't help because that's not what he wanted. You see, surrender is not to there. Surrender is not to this. Surrender is to anything. That's, that's it. Just, Lord, whatever it is, whatever situation I'm in, Lord, help me to be yielded to you. That's what he wants from us, to surrender ourselves. Say, God, I am your vessel. Use me. He wants to use you. You don't have to say some magic prayer to unlock some power. It is you choosing whether or not you are going to yield yourself to God so that he can use you. And he has called us to do a task. And he, we are able to fulfill the task. Right Through the Holy Spirit, we are able to fulfill the task. We are able to get to the uttermost and reach the uttermost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to be yielded to him. We need to be focused on what he's called us to do. You know, you look through the story in Acts 4 and there's so many things that could have just captured their focus away from the task. Just a little bit of a diversion. Just one degree off of where we're supposed to be heading. And pretty soon you're just way off course. Keeping the focus on what God has called us to do. It's such a great task. It's such a wonderful opportunity to serve him. Let us be willing. Let's pray. Father, you, we are so grateful for your love. Thank you for your willingness to use us, God, your patience towards us, your long-suffering towards us. God, we, we doubt, we question, we fail so many times, and yet your love is so evident in our life. God, I pray that we would be willing. I pray that we would offer ourselves to you as a willing vessel. In Jesus' name, amen, Pastor. Stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Maybe God spoke into your heart tonight, surrendered. Boy, the message went right along with Sundays. Only God can orchestrate things like that. What a great message. As the piano plays, the altar's open.